Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Conversations, where we look at the intersection of relationships, faith, and leadership. I am one of your co-hosts, Michael Clark. And I'm Christian Harden. We're so glad you joined us. All right. Thanks again for joining us again for Coffee and Conversations. We are going to jump right back into part two. Um, John Gagne, I hope you already caught part one with him. Um, if good. not, go back and listen to his story. It is so powerful. Um, and so, Christian, I, I, he looked at me during the, the recording. You're like, did you know this? I'm like, I knew pieces. I've never gotten to hear John share it all just like he, like he did in part one. And so if, uh, if the cliff notes. it was so good. And Candy knew bits and pieces, my wife, because obviously our families know one another. So yeah. go back and listen to John Gagne's part one, his, his testimony, his story, and what the Lord um, had really done in him. And so John is my brother-in-law's brother-in-law. That's our connection. I get to say that. My brother-in-law's that means we brother-in-law. Married. Yeah, I don't even know in what the that South, is. That means we, yeah. <laughs> if we're in Kentucky, we're yeah, yep, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so today I definitely wanna I wanna hear a little bit more. We got so much of just your 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 God story, your testimony. Um, tell us a little bit about ministry life. What's that look like? What's the journey he's taking you on? Uh, there's always the things that like he puts in you and in your heart, and it doesn't it obviously doesn't come to fruition right away. You go through so many experiences getting to some of those later on. Um, but just share a little bit about that. What's that journey been like? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, early on, again, like I said in part one, I just, I really felt, um, you know, I don't, it's like we talk about the calling, you hear the call. Um, there's a scripture that says men are called, but you are, few are chosen. Um, and so I like to describe that as a burden. I felt a burden to be in ministry um and it's not like a heavy burden like it's a yoke that you're carrying that is weighing you down it's like there's something inside of you that will never go away mm-hmm. and it's a it, it's it is a fire to um bring the kingdom to those around you yeah um and it's like you can't shake it it's just there um and so i felt that young so of course i was you know super involved in youth group and i always ended up you know leading a bible study at my school and um, just always around ministry, being involved anytime I could as a teenager. Um, I remember the the first time I really f- sensed or experienced um, a supernatural. Oh, my wife is texting me. Wait, I'm gonna text her back. Um, I I sent. Uh, not yet. She's getting poke balls. Part two. Part two. We're in part two. All right. So I the first time I really sensed a very. Um, <laughs> a very crazy um supernatural encounter of um where the holy spirit started moving in my life um was and multiple mission trips the first mission trip mm-hmm. i ever went on was to peru and i remember something inside of me i wasn't taught this there was something inside of me that um that the holy spirit was literally grabbing it felt, it felt like he was grabbing a hold of my insides and pulling me in a direction and I was like, man, there's something about this trip. I'm going to fast and pray and get myself prepared for this trip. And then on this trip, I started waking up every morning at four o'clock in the morning. Now I'm like 17, 18 years old. I'm getting up at four o'clock in the morning, taking an ice cold hour and going down into this, like into this um, uh, courtyard area of this complex that we're staying in. And I just start interceding for the team. I mean, I, I had been in prayer meetings before, but like there was a level of intercession coming through of me, coming through me that I was never taught. 
Mm. Um, and it started just flowing through me. Next thing you know, I'm like praying and again, it's echoing through the through this compound. And and the Lord starts giving me scriptures to like prophesy and declare over the team and all this stuff that's happening. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I start and, and when I come home from that mission trip, I'm like totally lit. All right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. I need to do this. This is who I am. Um, and then it was not another either missions trip. I don't think it was a missions trip after, but it was the one after that. So my third missions trip I was on were in El Salvador. Um, and one of the guys in the youth group, um, we actually had two guys in the youth group that could play drums. One was the, our band leader. Um, and then the other one was another young man in the, in the youth group, a friend of mine who plays drums. And neither of them were on the trip. And our worship leader was there. And he's like, oh man, I really wish I had a drummer. And I was like, well, I've banged around on like congas a couple of maybe i can play the drums i sit down and just start playing the drums like it literally just starts flowing out of me That's and i'm when like it what the heck is happening right now i'm like what is going on right That's now like awesome. i literally just start playing these songs and i come home and he's like we need to develop that in you and to this day i still have never taken a drum lesson in my life yeah, and i and see you you're on the worship years, team playing and it. it's killer so but it's and literally but here's the thing right um and this is what i tell people listen like where you stop is where the Lord can pick up. Yeah. And so if you so choose to end yourself sooner, he actually can pick it up sooner. That's and it. so That's I so would good. literally for, for years, I would sit down on the drums and say, okay, Lord, I know I don't know how to play the drums. And this is how I would practice. Zach and Ashley would send me a song <laughs> and it would say, this is the song we're playing on Sunday. And I would put it on. And I would listen to it like a psycho ex-girlfriend calling you over and over and over again. <laughs> I would put it on and listen to it over and oh. over and over and over and over again until that song was in me. And then I sit down and it would just come out of me. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's how I practiced. And there was, and I wouldn't just be listening to the time. I didn't even know what the time signatures meant. <laughs> Zach would be like, something, something, something. I'd be like, I don't even know what that means. I'm just going to play what I feel. I'm going to play what's in me. And, and to the, right. That's but awesome. here's the crazy part. I remember one, one Sunday morning. So now I, so I played drums with Zach for, for almost 15 years this way. Okay. And so, and, and he's a perfectionist. I mean, he he is a master of his craft. Okay. And so I, and so I, I remember one Sunday morning, we, we leave the service or worship is over and we leave the sanctuary. And it was like the second service of our former church. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. We haven't played that song in so long. I can't even believe I remembered it. And Ashley turns and looks at me and she goes, we've never played that song on the way to church this morning. Zach and I decided, Hey, let's try it and see what happens. (laughs) And we played the song. It just came out of me. It just literally, and I was like, no, 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 no. We've, we've played that song a million times. She was just laughing. She was, we've never played that song. And I'm like, what the heck? And I started, and, and it really hit me. I was like, wow. oh my gosh, like, like, like how reliant we need to be yeah. on the Holy Spirit to be able to actually minister with excellence in a way that the Holy Spirit actually has a way to move. And so then when I started to grasp that concept of, okay, I know I don't know how to play the drums, but the Lord has given me this as a gift. Then I really started tapping into that going, okay, Lord, since you're the one that gave me this gift, not only how do you want to use it, but what is it actually supposed to sound like? 
Mm-hmm. Okay, now my focus isn't do I play the song the way I heard the song, but how is the sound that you desire to come out of me while I'm doing this? Yeah. And then when we start getting into some of these times where you sense the Holy Spirit's actually literally manifested his presence, things start actually shifting in the atmosphere. And and so I'll just tell you my fivefold ministry gifts is I'm a prophet teacher. Okay. That's the tide. Like in the Bible ministry, yes, I am a prophet and I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I am going to prophesy with the drum. And I would start playing and sometimes songs would start taking on a different sound because it's like, this is what the Lord is doing. And I would literally feel the shifting taking place in the atmosphere mm-hmm. as I'm, I'm, I literally, I close my eyes. I'm not even looking at the drums. <laughs> And I'm just, my hands are literally just moving. And I'm like, Lord, there, you, there's a sound that you want to release today. And it may not be ever again. It's just now there's yeah. a sound that you want to release. And I would allow that to come through me because I didn't know how to play the drums. So I didn't have to worry about not knowing how to play the drums. That's so good. I didn't have to try to train myself to not play it the way I learned how, because I never learned how. It was just as led by the I would just go and do it. Um, and so, um, so that it. was like the beginning of ministry for me was really starting to move in that direction. Um, I, again, I remember in worship um, when I was a teenager, 17, 18 years old, be, being in the sanctuary and I would be in worship. And all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit would highlight someone across the church from me. And I, that I couldn't like stop staring at them, you know, and like in a, in, not in a creepy way, but probably in a creep, creepy way. And I would just right in the middle of worship, I'd get out of my seat and just walk across the sanctuary and go over to them and say, I just cannot stop looking at you. I feel like the Holy Spirit has something for you this morning. Can I pray with you? And they're like, uh, sure. And I would put my hand on them and words would start coming out of my mouth. And I literally would be, it would be a word of knowledge and it would just start flowing out of me. And I remember the feeling of like, what is happening? What is happening? Mm. What is happening? But it's just coming out of me. And I would feel like my whole body was on fire and these words are just coming out. And the person just breaks down and starts weeping at 17, 18 years old. And it's like, what is this? So I really started to like, to just kind of flow in that. Um, and then again, if you listen to the first, um, the first one, um, that all that stuff came to like a screeching halt. Mm. Um, screeching halt when I, when I just went all completely off the rails. Um, I I stopped praying in tongues. I stopped exercising any spiritual gifts at all whatsoever. And then I remember um, after those couple of years and the Lord wrecking my life and, and beginning healing in my life, I remember the first time praying in tongues again. I remember like I felt the Holy Spirit literally burning in my, in my belly. And I'm, I was alone in my house, just going through one of these moments where the Lord was bringing healing to me and walking me through deliverance. Um, and I like literally giving me the language that I use today in our mm. sessions. Um, and I remember, and, and I felt it in my like, fire inside of me. And I remember saying to myself, but you haven't spoken in tongues in so long. Um, you're, you're not even worthy to do it. I remember like fighting this feeling it was like the enemy like didn't want me to release this sound. And, mm. uh, and I was like, no, I have to do it. I have to do it. And it was like the first time I ever spoke in tongues 
came and this time i literally had to like make the decision i'm going to pray in tongues right now the lord is doing something in me i'm like all by myself having this fight with myself like mm-hmm. like talking about talking about favorite movies not my favorite movie me myself and irene i'm like fighting <laughs> with myself punching myself in the face to you gotta pray in tongues no i'm not gonna pray in tongues um and i just re- i i released it and it was so clunky and awkward at first because I was literally had to make myself do it, and I started to, and it just came out like a fountain. It just poured out of me, and then from that moment, all of a sudden, it was like mm. I wasn't even running anymore. I was flying, um, and it just all these gifts started just to pour out of me. Um, and I remember when I moved back up here, and I started. I I came back to the church that all of the stuff had gone down in. I walked back to the door and the Lord just started healing relationships. I mean, I had been gone for, for a couple for almost three years at that point and just, and literally praying over and interceding Lord, mend the broken hearts, like heal all the relationships that I single-handedly destroyed. Um, I walked through the front door of the church and within a couple of weeks, every relationship within that church that had been destroyed, the Lord supernaturally healed. Uh, I mean, so beyond anything you could ever imagine. I mean, wow. literally, it, I, it could not have been me because I was not even there. Um, and, uh, and, and the Lord supernaturally healed so many hearts. And, and I took off running and I started, I jumped right on the drums, started playing drums. I started teaching Sunday school. I became the Sunday school superintendent of the church. Um, and like, it just was like, I started teaching and leading. Um, and I could just see prophetically the Lord was doing something and then a shift happened in the church um, and the Lord. And, and that's a whole another story that I don't even want to get into. If you ever had a, want to do a podcast on church hurt and just get, mm. I'll be on a panel for you. Um, <laughs> but the, the, but the Lord, the Lord was calling us out of that church and we wow. didn't realize that's what it was at the time. Yeah. We just were pursuing the Lord because we needed more. Yeah. Um, and whatever was happening in our church was not satisfying. And so a group of us men started meeting on Tuesday nights and yep. the, we started just praying. And the, the focus of our prayer was, was vision, direction, and revival. That was it. And the Lord started just building this thing inside of us. Um, and then out of that, we planted a church yeah. and everything that we've done I've heard about in that. planting this church. <laughs> well, I, I took two church planting classes in Bible college, one up here and one down in Brownsville and everything we did was opposite of what yep. that church planning class told you to do to yep. plant the church. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and subsequently out of this church plant, I'll just talk about my own personal ministries. Um, the Lord has, has birthed an orphan care um, ministry through my wife and I. Um, we always knew since even when we were teenagers, was one of those weird God things that we both wanted to adopt hmm. and we both wanted six kids. Um, so we have six kids. Um, and, um, our oldest is our only biological and we adopted the other five, um, out of foster care. And, um, and, and that's another whole podcast. You can talk to her on, you can invite her for that one. <laughs> well, um, get kids she's for she's an amazing leader too. I'll let my she's wife. Not that just one. that. I mean, she, listen, she, yeah. And she, she was, she led an entire hospital system through COVID. Literally. Yeah. She was, I mean, like, I don't even want to go down that road. So until she would get her so, vaccine. Um, they fired her because she didn't get the vaccine. Yeah, okay. That's another story too. Um, anyway, it's just it's another whole story. I <laughs> I can't even. This there's so much, Michael. I can't even. I can't. Oh man. 
Christian, man, listen, my life is crazy, okay? So, um, <laughs> and, and it, but it's a good crazy. And I'll tell you what, like what the Lord has done, and, the, and I really started leaning into that prophetic gifting. Um, and now it's like uh, I am over all of the prayer ministries um, at our church. We, we launched that um, orphan care ministry with Bags of Hope. So tell us a little um, bit about last, that. Like, it, tell us about how, part that, of it. <laughs> how, did, how did that come about? How did Bags of Hope even, uh, you know, begin? Yeah, Obviously, so you know, orphan care was in your heart. As teenagers, you wanted to adopt. Yeah. That had started, but Bags yeah. of Hope too. Talk about that. Yeah. So, so in the first year of our church, again, we, you know, we, we left this church after a, a, a long time of meeting together and praying and the Lord started moving our heart in a direction. And when we felt it was time for us to leave, we all left this church. Um, and it wasn't a church split. I mean, we were 12 families out of a church of like six or 700 people, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and, and, and out of the 12 families, nine of us were actually family. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were all related. Um, and so it was like my wife and her sisters and her cousins, you know? So we, um, and within the first year, it was very clear um, that the Lord had put on us a spirit of adoption. Hmm. Um, and that's twofold. Number one, that anyone who comes into this church um, that they are adopted into our family, that this is a family church. Um, and number two, um, that, that as a church, we would set our hearts toward the orphan and the orphan spirit, as well as the actual legit orphan, like the, those that need to be adopted and fostered. Um, and so, um, so the church started in, in March and that December, um, my wife and I decided, you know, we're going to, we, we want to do this project because we, we had been licensed to adopt. Um, we weren't going to do traditional foster care, but we wanted to adopt. So we got licensed to adopt. And, um, and in, in the, uh, the adoption classes, I remember they were teaching this one time about trauma and they gave this example about this young man who had been in foster care for many years. And he, he had then get, uh, finally got adopted and mm. he's at the kitchen table one morning, I'm um, eating breakfast. And the father comes in and he's taking the trash out and he pulls out a trash bag. And when he whips that trash bag open oh, to put it in the trash can, the kid has a nervous breakdown and starts screaming. Yeah. I can't believe this. After all this time, you told me this was forever. And they were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And he was like, that's it. I'll just go grab my stuff and put it in that trash bag to leave. And they were like, no, 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 no. Like, he's just taking the trash out. And I was, and they were like talking about how mm. these kids travel to foster care Triggered and so how much. their stuff ends up in a trash bag yep. because it's in, and I literally shout out, of course I yell out in the class, <laughs> like I did in Brownsville. I was like, there's no way I yell. I'm like, there's no way. And the, the woman stops. She's like, what do you mean? I said, there's no way. And this day and age it has to be that like barbaric, like that, like, yeah. like that a kid is going to experience trauma because of a trash bag. How is nothing else we can do for this? And it would explain logistically, financially, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And we're like, I'm like, this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm like, we're going to have to do something about this. So anyway, that kind of like got back burnered, like put in the back of my mind. And so we, we go, um, we get the phone call for um, this little boy. He's 11 months old, and he's going to be our first adoptive um, placement. His name is Shane. And, um, and so we, we go to the home to pick him up. Um, we met him a few times and spent some time with him. And then the day he's moving, we get to the house, and we you know throw a couple things in the car. And the foster mom says, oh, actually, there's one more thing. It's in my basement. I'm going to go grab it. 
and she comes up with a black trash bag with like baby blankets and some of that stuff in it and i was like oh my goodness this is for real so i walk out to the car and kim's in the car with with grace and shane and i she looks out the window and sees me carrying the the trash bag i put it in the back of the car i get in the driver's seat and it's like dead silent we drive out of the driveway down the street we get on the highway and I turned and look at her and I said, I can't even believe that. And she's like, we got to do something about it. I'm like, we definitely have to do something about it. Mm. So that Christmas we decided we're going to do a little project and we're going to call it Bags of Hope and we're going to get some nice duffel bags and have them embroidered with their name on it and put some comfort items like a blanket and a stuffed animal and like through various uh, families in our church that had been fostering and through social yeah. workers, we had some conversations of what do these kids express that they need, or we want to put some comfort items in them, you know? So it was like bath, you know, uh, bath and body works and a journal mm. and so some things that are personal to them because they go into a home and it's like nothing is theirs. The blanket that they're, that they're covering themselves with is not theirs. The shampoo is not theirs. Yeah. It could be smells and things that they're not used to. And we've talked a lot about that. And in, in when it, talking about trauma, and all these different yeah. things that can be triggers for them and so we're like you know let's do this so we we knew a couple of families that were fostering and so we're like maybe we'll do like 24 of these bags just mm. as something you know just for families you um, knew there 20, in the area yeah okay. yeah like that's in our sure. church and in like one degree of separation away from our church you yeah. know um families that we already knew that were fostering and 24 quickly turned into 100 and then the next year it was like 300 and the year after that it was like 750 and then it was 1200 and then now um, we've been averaging every year somewhere just a little north of 6000 bags a year um in the last 10 years we've done over 30000 bags um and um and so and it, there's a duffel bag embroidered with their name on it with comfort items and we do every foster child that's been placed in the last 12 months in the state of Rhode Island about 80 to 90 percent of Massachusetts 50 percent of Connecticut we have um it launched in Indiana and we do New York and California and in Northwest Florida Pensacola my, my twin brother now also lives in Pensacola and him and his wife started it in Pensacola wow. so now they're doing the entire panhandle all the way to Tallahassee, um, all the kids in foster care in Pensacola, and all the bags come through us. We have them embroidered, and then we ship them to them. Soon to be Tennessee. And, uh, there's actually been times where I've driven them down. Come Literally, on. I filled a van up and drove them all the way down to Pensacola and gave them to the team down there. But now we have churches in Pensacola that have come on board. So we buy, we get the bags at a crazy crazy cost we have them embroidered as a from a family in our church that owns a sports shop um and they do they've done all the embroidery that's awesome um, for the last 10 years and um and now and so and now but here's the thing (laughs) it's not about the bag (laughs) yeah um so we've had so many crazy experiences through this because of it um, one of the first 100 bags that we that we did, and remember, we you know we pray over every bag, over every name. The name is so important Come to on. us the, that their name is spelled correctly. Um, nothing says that nobody cares about you when you get a Christmas present from a family member and your name is spelled wrong. <laughs> yeah. Nope. You know, it's like, do you even know me? Do you even care? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then, so it's like, um, we, we don't check the list twice. It's checked like 10 times. Mm. Um, and we double check and triple check. And when the name comes in and we, and we, and when it gets embroidered and when it gets filled and we, when it goes out and when it gets delivered, like we check the name over and over and over and over again. 
and uh, and re- remember the first 100 bags, one of the names um, of a young girl, very unique name and spelling. Um, and then about a year later, one of the families in our church that that felt called to foster because of being involved in bags of hope get they get licensed and they start getting foster placements and then um and then this little girl comes into the home and the, the social worker's like oh i just got a couple things in my trunk you want to come out with me and they go out to the trunk and the, the social worker pops the trunk and there's a duffel bag now this is our first one this is in less than one year from when we did these bags and the, the trunk pops open and the, and the woman in our church almost fell over and she remembered the name, and she was the one that actually tied the ribbon on that bag. Come on. And she looks at the name, and she just bursts out in tears. And she's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, I know that name. I've been praying for that little girl, and now she's in my home? Not only is she in my home, she's in our church. And it all of a sudden, it was like church after church. So one of the coolest things about this is that we've had – I mean, over the years, I don't even know how many churches, but roughly there's about 80 to 100 churches that have partnered with us in New England to do this. I love it. And um, either financially or volunteering, you know, packing bags and wrapping presents and doing all this stuff. Um, and and now myself or Kim will go to this, this church and do like on a Sunday, like talk about bags of hope and the vision behind it and the heart for the orphan and the widow. And, you know, these kind of, this kind of thing, like James one twenty seven, and someone will come up and say, I, last year I volunteered and it just gripped me. And my husband and I, we, we, we got licensed to foster. And now there's a, a child in this church who's in children's church right now. And he came to us with a duffel bag. And like, it's like, you <laughs> see the full circle and so, and since then, <laughs> since then, um, we, we've literally seen around 200 kids fostered and about 50 kids adopted by families that were licensed because of Bags of Hope. Mm. Um, and for the last like four to five years, Kim has been the number one recruiter for foster and adoptive families in the state of Massachusetts. And she was running a hospital system. That was her full-time job. <laughs> and then, and, and she was the number one recruiter for foster and adoptive families. And the, and the state would call the church and say, we need your help. We need your help. And we started holding licensing classes at our church to license the families to foster yeah. and adopt. And, and, and Kim got licensed through the state to license. And we have like the head of, of the department of children and family for the state of Massachusetts, like tell us whatever you need, whatever you need, just let us know, like, we'll give you whatever you need. And, and we're like speaking at adopt national adoption day events for the state. And like, it was just like crazy. That's and every awesome. time they're like, how is, how do you do it? How do you do it? And our answer is the church. And they're like, I don't know what you mean. We're like, it's the church because it's our job. It's our call. It is God's heart that mm. these children are placed in families and loved. And there's something that the world cannot offer them that the church can offer them. That's the love of a father that created them. And that is the answer. And so now we mentioned Kim getting fired from the hospital. <laughs> um, she, she, was, she was the director of capacity management, which means it's like all of the hospital flow, patient experience, where they go in the hospital. When she was the director of cap, capacity mm-hmm. management for a level one trauma system, the wow. largest hospital system in the state of Rhode Island. Um, and they, they terminated her because she did not get vaccinated. She was the highest level position in all of the system to get terminated for not being vaccinated. Um, and now she works for Boys Town, which is a national yeah. organization that works. And she is the number one recruiter in 
Venetian, and she hasn't even worked there for a year. <laughs> and uh, no and now surprise. her job is not just to, her job is not just to recruit, but it's also to license. And she started working for them a week after she was terminated with this crazy God ordained moments. Um, and um, between December first. Um, and now she has recruited and licensed 30 families in local churches. Um, and, um, and it's just I like, and it. literally it's, cha- it's, it's changing the landscape. And now all of the Massachusetts and Rhode Island offices are calling her saying, we have another child that just came into care. Can you help us place them? And she places <laughs> them with a Christian family every single time. And it's literally <laughs> changing the landscape and they have no answer for it. They have no answer for it. And so, and and, and in our church, in any given Sunday, you will walk into any of our classes of our children's ministry. We have 300 children, 11 and under in our church right now. Wow. And in every classroom, and roughly 30% of every class, there's a child who's either fostered or adopted in that class. Some of the classes, some of the ages, it's actually a higher concentration. We had a time where 60% of the classes were kids that are being fostered or adopted. Come on. Um, and, uh, the church and like, being the church. That, come on, dude. That's it's it. like separation of churches. They're calling us. That's they're it. calling us. And every time they're like, they're like, wow, what's your secret? We're like, it's the <laughs> it's the church. Um, and so I, and I know, and I, I've asked her so many times, I said, if, if you could do anything and money was not a problem and it was not in the hospital, what, what is it that the Lord put in you to do? And she would say, Come change on. the foster care system in the state of Massachusetts or even the, even the nation. And, um, and she presented two weeks ago to the president of Boys Town and to a bunch of executives wow. um, because they're like, tell us, how do you do this? How are you recruiting like this? We've never seen this. We've never even had this many families in the pipeline in Massachusetts ever for Boys Town. How are you doing this? And she presented how she does it. Um, and the, the, the president of Boys Town called her in the next day and said, um, this is exactly what our, our organization needs to be doing. And we're going to adopt your model nationwide That's um, it. because, because we're, we're, we have recruiters going to pride parades. We have recruiters going to schools and going to all these different organizations and we can't get anybody. And, and, and so my wife said, listen, I get it. Like these homosexual couples, they can't have children. They want to adopt. This is what the state, this is how the state responds to the problem. We'll yeah. just have kids, people that don't have kids, have kids, you know? Yeah. And and Kim's like, I just want to let you know, I'm telling you right to your face, I will never place a child in a homosexual home. They will always go into a healthy Christian home to a family that is spirit-filled and plugged into a, a, a church body. That is always the way I'm going to do it. And I will never change. <laughs> I love and it. he said, this is exactly what, this is the direction our organization needs to go in. So... <laughs> So, Come on. Um, so it's so cool. So that's one of the ministries. <laughs> I love how God is using her. Uh, and, so, and, 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 and the reality is um, the Lord um, gave me a vision for all of our outreach ministries of our church. And he specifically told me that I was going to be um, going to be the midwife for the, the ministry's birth out of our church. And I said, okay, Lord, I know I can't run any of these ministries. I don't have the giftings. I, we don't have the money. We don't have the people. We don't have the space. We don't have the resources. You have to provide. This is your vision. This is your kingdom. And I'm just here willing as a vessel, as a conduit to do whatever you want to do and you provide. Um, and since I prayed that prayer, we are we now own 27% of them all. Um, and we have a health and wellness center hmm. um, with a full-time um, primary care physician, an ER physician, 
uh, a level uh, in their emergency room, um, physician's assistant, four full-time nurses, a pediatrician, a neonatal intensive uh, care uh, position, um, and with a vision for a birthing center, we can do full emergency room care. Um, we have ultrasound. We soon we're going to have x-ray. We can draw labs. Um, and we're seeing people healed left and right because the Lord is establishing a new way of providing health care. Um, we just were launching a school T minus two and a half weeks from now. We're launching a K through 12. Um, <laughs> we, we have, um, we have had food pantries. We have a counseling center. We, we launched a counseling center during COVID. We launched a, a hybrid Bible school during COVID. Um, we, we also have a lot of other things in the pipeline, like, um, like almost like a capital venture kind of investment, um, uh, um, group that's going to start launching kingdom businesses. Um, we're going to start to have a commercial kitchen and house and house some food, like some restaurant stuff. I mean, it's like, it is, it is awesome. And I also, again, I, I lead all of our prophetic and inner healing ministries. And so I lead, um, I facilitate deliverance. Um, last year I did 53 deliverance um, sessions um this year i don't even know what i'm doing i'm averaging two deliverance sessions a week um and um and it's just the lord is just like so he's he's moving in ways you cannot ever imagine it's amazing um, so. god it's so amazing to hear and i know literally we could go so many more directions to hear about more of that but um <laughs> i feel like i feel like you've dropped a bomb already of just like unlimited yeah, for real unlimited possibilities yeah um, of just how God. Yeah. Can so use here, here, here I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you the leadership thing, right? Aspects. What is this? I have. The, I'm looking at your things that you sent me. Aspects <laughs> of relationships and leadership that do you see as a deficit in our culture? Mm. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, and, and I'll just speak directly. Is that okay? If I, if yeah, I go for it, move in that direction. Sure. All right. I know this is not my podcast, but um, remember I said I, I just take the lead. So. <laughs> it um, so. So. Um, what aspects of, of relationships and leadership do you see as a deficit in our culture? We, in the first session, we talked about um, discipleship and the lack of mm. discipleship. Yeah. Um, and I'll just speak directly to discipleship in regards to healing um, because that's what I do. Um, and what's well, not only what I do, but that's the direction we're going to head in. <laughs> um, and, um, and so, um, you know, there's a, there's a scripture, and I'll ask you guys, have you ever heard a preacher or a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist or anyone say this scripture out of Romans, you are more than a conqueror? Have you ever heard that? Sure, sure. I'm sure you've read it, right? You've read it. Have you ever heard somebody preach it and, and, and talk about it, right? You are more than a conqueror. Yeah. <laughs> Bless God, you are more than a conqueror. Have you ever heard anyone actually teach or disciple anyone? And what that actually means or mm -hmm. what that actually looks like to be more than a conqueror. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard a teaching on it personally? No. Michael, have you ever heard a teaching on it? No. Christian, have you ever heard a teaching on it? I haven't, no. No. On what it means to be more than a conqueror? We say it all the time, but what does it actually mean? Well, let me tell you why I propose to you why I believe you haven't heard it. And I, it, it's a couple different possibilities. Number one, that preacher doesn't actually believe it themselves number two um that peach that preacher or that teacher or that pastor has never actually experienced it themselves and so here here is 
here's a leadership thing right here. Ready? If you, as Zach would say, if you're writing things down, write this down. <laughs> you cannot, yeah, ready? If you're dropping right now, say, hey, Siri, note this for me. <laughs> ready? Here's a, here's a tip. Here's a tip. Here's a, here's a revelation. You cannot lead someone to a place that you've never been. Yeah. Yep. And so to be more than a conqueror means that I have overcome an obstacle. I have overcome a sin. I have overcome a hurt. I have overcome an offense. I have overcome, I have conquered something in my life that was preventing me from walking in freedom. And I actually don't have to go back around the mountain and conquer it again. Mm. We spend the majority of our Christian lives cycling and circling around the same mountain over and over and over and over again. We find ourselves for six months of the year on the sunny side of the mountain. Everything is awesome and rainbows and gumdrops. And then all of a sudden we hit this dark season of our life where that same sin that we have not been able to break free from is, is haunting us again. And where we find ourselves tripping over every single hurdle that has been put in front of us. But when Jesus Christ sets you free, you don't have to jump the same hurdles ever again. Now, it's not to, to say that you'll never have to jump a hurdle ever again or that you will never find another mountain again. Sometimes they may even look the same because here is a journey. Yeah. But you won't have to cycle the same mountain again because you are more than an overcomer, which means I overcame and I'm actually moving forward. There's a reason why the windshield on your car is bigger than your rearview mirror. Because your focus while you're driving is where you're going, not where you've come from. Yeah. And now the rear view mirror reminds you of where you've come from and may even give you some insight of maybe something that's coming up from behind that desires to steal, kill, and destroy what God is doing in your life. But our primary focus is on the direction the Lord is bringing us. And, and to be more than an overcomer means you, there is an actual reality to being able to overcome, to be able to be saved and set free, delivered, healed, and made whole, and to actually walk in freedom. Jesus said, they have come to set the captive free. And so what I find as in a lack in our culture is the fact that in discipleship, there is a common phrase that's used all the time. It's what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Yeah. And so if that is true, and we believe that, and when we look across the landscape of the American church today, and we see so much deficit, that means that people were being led out of a deficit. And one of those deficits yeah. are most Christians, I, I propose to you that 93% of Christians in America, I'll just say for America, maybe even the world, but I'll just say America, 90 percent of and this is a number i made up by the way 93 percent of americans in Amer american christians live with a faith of what jesus did on friday which was dying on the cross for your sin but do not live in the revelation in the truth of what jesus did on sunday which he rose again from the grave and had in his hands the keys to hell mm. and the grave that's good and the and the keys to hell in or hell in the grave are repentance and forgiveness and lost the art of repentance. We've lost the art of forgiveness hmm. and we 
God, forgive me for, for being such an idiot again. God, forgive me. Oh, the same stinking sin over and over and over again. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And we continue to walk in the same direction, asking God to forgive us. Guess what? The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Congratulations, your spirit is saved, sanctified, set free, and going to heaven, but your soul is in chaos and in torment, and the kingdom of God is mm. actually not being established in your life and is not actually coming through your life mm. because your soul is experiencing so much torment. There's so much chaos. There's so much stuff in your soul that you're actually not being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not being made more into the image of That's why we have a church that you can't from the world yeah. because they're saved and going to heaven. Congratulations. That's actually not why Jesus came. He didn't come for you to, for you to have a one-way ticket to heaven. He came to establish his kingdom on earth through you. Yeah. And, and, That's and nice. I'm sorry. And, and we'll go into this and I'll let you clean this mess up later. You can <laughs> be a clinic. You cannot be clinically depressed for 30 years of your life and be a born again Christian. That is contrary to the Bible. That's contrary to the life of Jesus Christ. Mm. He says, I came that you may have life and life more abundant. And now I'm not going to, I'm not going to rail on that because I recognize depression is real. Anxiety is real. There are seasons that people go through. They need medication to help them. I've sat in deliverance sessions with a client across from me that says, if I did not take my medication this morning, I would not be here right now. Mm. And so I recognize the reality of that. But that's not where Jesus wants you to stay. Yeah. He says, you are more than an overcomer. When you, when you were born again, you became a new creation. The old man is dead. Behold, you have been made new. And so we have to work through the process of healing so that you can be delivered and set free from the old way. That's and so, so where discipleship where discipleship has lacked is that we have not been taught. We have not been shown. We have not, through osmosis of proximity to a man and woman of God walking this out, been shown what it means to actually walk in a life that is, is, that is described as being set free. We haven't been shown it. Yeah. Of how to actually live the life of being set free. Yep. Discipleship is we're, not We're screaming. Yep. But that's real discipleship. Yeah. That's real discipleship. Not teaching you, you need to sit here and do this thing and read this book and then you're going to be better. Pfft, says who? No, yeah. it's what, how do I actually live this out? How do I walk a life, a life that is maintaining freedom? What does that look like and what does that sound like? And so that is a deficit in our culture. So and good. and it, Lord, Lord, help me. We are working on changing that culture in New England where everyone has a head knowledge, where, where, where you, how smart you are is your credentials. How many degrees mm. you have is what puts you at the top. And I'll tell you what, I don't have a degree, <laughs> and, but I have experience. I had an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he set me free. And so now the Lord can use me to walk people to a place of being set free because I've been there and I know what it looks like. I know what it smells like. And I know how to do it. And so I can lead you to that place. That's so, so. good. John, thank you so much for just uh, sharing uh, so many different things with us today. And, um, and, yeah. And session one, too. So they've got a lot to chew on. And we're going to have to have you back. We'll, we'll schedule you again. Um, and definitely, um, I think there's, there's so much more that, that you could go into and share. Yeah. But, man, thank you again for joining us. 
And hey, uh, man. thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been such a blessing. It's been so rich. But hey, and for our listeners, thanks again for joining us for Coffee and Conversations. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, definitely reach out to us at podcast at kiko.org.